Welcome to the Inspired Teacher's Guide Podcast. We are Kim Wilkins and Laura Woldridge, two teachers trying to podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. We are here today. Going to talk about some very interesting topics or yes. one interesting topic. Absolutely. Interesting to me. It's what I do every day. <laughs> Before we get started, let's think about what we talked about last time or who we interviewed. Remember last last week we interviewed the two school psychologists at my school. Yeah, that was yeah. super interesting. It is. I've, I've always thought I'd like to do that. Oh, you would be very good at that. I Kim. think like to dig through all that and put all those puzzle puzzle pieces together. And I do a little bit of that with my level two screeners mm-hmm. um, and work closely with the psychologist. But I've always thought that would be a very interesting and uh, nuanced, really, because you're going to be doing different things every day and different levels of testing. I I think it'd be, I think it'd be a fascinating profession. The one thing that stuck out to me or that I think the most important thing that stuck out to me is they are not just a tester and they are, Mm it's, they can help me. Um, and, and, and I was about to say advise, which is also helping, but I can contact these individuals. Or, um, some advice. And that is something that I never considered really, other than advice about testing. Mm-hmm. They could advise mm-hmm. you on actions. So they know exactly, they have the best resources available to them and so much experience. I mean, if you think about how many tests they've given over mm-hmm. the course of their careers, and think of our friend Donna Ashley. Oh, you know, yeah. Donna did that for over. Uh, probably close to 40 years and she still does it some, but whenever I've had a, a difficult level two screener that I'm doing with a student who has characteristics of dyslexia, she's, she's my go-to person. I call her and say, okay, this is what I'm seeing and I don't understand. And she -hmm. just kind of talks me through it and tells me what to look for. She'll say, well, look at this test and what does that show you? And just really questioning and trying to balance all the pieces and what are the strengths? I mean, we want to look for what, what's the student's strengths and then what's unexpected there. What do you, what did you not expect to see? So I, I just find it a very fascinating field and um, that group of professionals is very helpful to us in schools if we will utilize them. Yeah. I was just thinking some, you made me think of something that, you know, Many times we are worried about a kid behaviorally or maybe even academically just because we've set this expectation in our head that they should be acting a certain way or doing specific things and we need to check development, you know, like getting about students getting in trouble for talking or, you know, movement. And is it, have we set an appropriate expectation for that, uh, yeah, for age. For that age mm-hmm. of development, you know, and so I think a lot of times maybe um, our school psychologists could even help us check our expectations. Um, I think so too, Laura. And I really, you know, since we've discussed ADHD and, you know, I've been reading a lot still and, and other disabilities, other co- uh, neurodiverse areas, mm-hmm. um, I think expectations for what a child is able to do cognitively. For instance, if we say to a kid who has, let's go back to attention deficit or even dyslexia, what, what the research has shown is when we tell them try harder, that puts so much pressure on them that they actually, the research is very solid. They actually perform lower than they would than it compared to if we find their strengths, praise them and give them some hope. Mm-hmm. But when you say try harder, it's, they are trying as hard as they can try. Right. And that, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Okay. Well, are you ready for today? I am ready today. We're going to talk well, about. Oh, hold on. I'm going to, I want to introduce that. Ladies oh. and gentlemen, today we are going to talk to my favorite, my absolute favorite guru on reading. And that is. Kim Wilkins. Kim is going to share um, some, this is going to be a two-part series today and next week. 
and we are going to dig deep into dyslexia. So today is going to kind of be an overview, review, um, just kind of those basics of dyslexia. And if you're like, oh gosh, I've heard this. Kim and I have studied this a lot, Kim way more than me, and this is going to be good for me to hear again. Um, and then next week, we're going to really be talking about, okay, how can we support those kiddos in our room or even mm-hmm. adults or our friends or maybe or our friends. Uh, yeah. things that we can do to support um, students with dyslexia. And that'll be next week. Um, yes. So, all right, Kim, teach me all the things I need mm-hmm. to know. Well, I have a, you know, I've, I've talked about it before, but my, my boys are dyslexic and three of my grandsons, two of my brothers, my little daddy, like it's everybody in my family and uh, me probably. When I started studying to become a CALT, a certified academic language therapist, I was like, it was like an epiphany. I thought, oh my goodness, that was me in third grade that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was fortunate because I was in a school and during a period of time in my in the educational uh, history that I was taught phonics really well and I learned to read and spell really well. And so I think I was never fast. I don't do things quickly, um, but I but I learned to read well and not as good of a speller, but we'll talk about some of those things. So what what is it? What is dyslexia? Well, it is a learning disorder that's neurological. It has to do with the brain. It is not a seeing, it's not seeing backwards. Um, It's characterized by difficulties with decoding, word reading, fluency, accuracy, and spelling. Spelling is often a real big indicator that in fluency. Um, It's... I mean, just let's take a moment and absorb it. That it is not seeing backwards. It is not seeing backwards. They often write things backward. Like they'll write their B's and D's backwards a lot. And Mm -hmm. cursive helps that. But that's because of the wiring in the brain. This opportunity that a dyslexic brain has to be able to see things in 3D makes it a little a little problematic when you're looking at a letter that that's two dimensional and and the meaning of that letter or not the meaning, but what that letter is supposed to do. The sound that it makes is dependent upon the the way it's shape and it's form and the way it's facing. So Mm -hmm. if my 3d brain, dyslexic brain that is really good at building Legos sees a B and a D and it all looks the same. Well, In my Lego world, that's good. Or in my gaming world, that's good. But in reading world, it's not so good. Mm -hmm. But no, they don't see backwards. Yeah. And and, I mean, I am all over the place, you know, having educational conversations. And that statement still comes out. I know. A lot of people. So share the news, friends, that that is not true. And. Oh, go ahead, Kim. No. If students are making reversals in letters past second grade, that's probably an indicator that there's something going on, but that's not the only thing. You should be seeing uh, poor reading fluency. Maybe your uh, Dibbles or Ames Web or whatever you're doing is flagging them. So you're going to see some things out there besides this B and D confusion, P and Q. Right. And like in kindergarten and first grade, it's probably a path. It may be a path of movement. A hundred percent. Or just mm-hmm. not strong handwriting instruction. So yeah. if your child or one of your students has B&D reversal, don't think that that's an automatic qualifier. For we, we've got to look at the whole child with more than one measure than uh, B&D. <laughs> that's, that's right, because a lot of little children have that problem. Um, this typically results from a deficit in the phonological component of language. And it's it is this is actually the definition um, that is unexpected in relation to other cognitive abilities and in spite of the provision of effective classroom instruction. That is straight from Shaywitz, from Sally Shaywitz. So it's unexpected. This child does well in math. They do well in science. They're, you, you, here's what I hear a lot from parents. You know, they they could tell stories and they they were always engaged in books and they like to work puzzles and they love to do Legos. And then we get to school and this very bright child that I have 
is floundering. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, all of a sudden, and so it's unexpected. Oral language is often good. My son, David, his vocabulary when he was little was amazing. And um, comprehension usually. Listen, yeah, it was all yeah. great. Listening comprehension. If they can listen to a story and retell the story in kindergarten, first grade, or they can answer specific questions about a story, but they cannot get on the page. They can't read that grade level text. Mm-hmm. Then there's a problem there. Typically yeah. it's, it's a, a phonological deficit. What we're finding now because of the science of reading, especially in Arkansas where we live, but I think in other States too, I know this is true in Texas. Um, the schools are really doing a good job with phonemic awareness and phonics. Mm-hmm. And so that's not flagging. Sometimes working memory will flag um, and rapid naming, but not mm-hmm. always because 30% of all kids who are reading below grade level, who we would say probably have characteristics of dyslexia aren't flagging for phonemic awareness. 30% do not have a phonological de- deficit. That was never, that phonological deficit was never meant to be exclusionary. It was mm. meant to be inclusive. So right. that I say, okay, they have a phonological deficit. So that's why. So, but we've used that and now said, well, they don't have a phonological deficit. So they can't have characteristics of dyslexia. Not okay. true. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. And one thing, listeners, just in case this phonological, these phonemic, these words, it's talking about like their awareness of sound and maybe not phonemic awareness would be the individual sound, but it may even be a broader um, mm-hmm. scope with more than a sound words, sentences, right. all of those things. Um, so that's what, the, what so, I notice in that, in that phonolo- phonological processing part of the brain, it's working memory. Uh, so you may have a child in kindergarten, first, second grade who sounds out, stop and they say pat Mm. because they can't hold that phonological memory they can't hold that all in that loop those are four things to remember and it's kind of by the time i get to the yes and i've done all this work and i'm i'm doing all this cognitive load on sounding it out and then i get to the end and i don't have the the phonological memory to hold that and then blend it back together so you'll see that a lot and so that's, I think that's one reason teachers will say, well, they're just mixing up words. Well, I just think, I think it has a lot to do with phonological memory. And I know mm-hmm. when I go look at tests of kids, when they're doing that and I look at their testing and I think, oh, yep, phonological memory, it's, yeah. it's not where it needs to be. But and I think it's a great point to bring up because, you know, we're sitting there listening to kids do that. And when they, when they turn out pat and they just sounded out as SDLP, you're like, what in the world? Where are you? Know what's going on? Yeah, you know, we may we may need to stop and think. Oh, do I see other areas where you know it's just too much on their brain and they forget? They forget, Mm -hmm. and maybe they don't need sound drilling. Maybe they need skills in their working memory. They do, and and that carries on through life. I know, you you know, Landon. He'll say to me, I'll say, Will you go pick up? A, B, C, and D at the store. And he'll say, mom, you know, I'm dyslexic. You know, I cannot remember all that. Send me a text or write it down. I'll get it. Um, Another thing about dyslexia, Laura, is that it's kind of a feed forward feedback. So I guess that's the way to say it. So this, this lack of this ability to decode feeds into they'll have problems with reading comprehension because they can't decode quick enough and retain all that well enough to comprehend what they're reading. So then what that does is that makes them not want to read. So they don't read as much because it takes them longer and their brains are working harder. And it just really impedes the growth of everything, their vocabulary, their fluency, their background knowledge, because they're not on the page. So Mm -hmm. that's why when, if you are the parent of a dyslexic child or you are teaching in a public school, read alouds are essential. They have got to have stories read to them. That's how they're going to get their background knowledge. And that's going to how they're, that's how they're going to get their vocabulary built up. And their joy. And, and their joy of reading. They that's love to listen to books. Mm-hmm. And ear reading is just as 
valuable is eye reading. We've said this before. You wouldn't say to a person reading Braille, oh, they're not really reading mm. because they are. So if yeah. I, if my way of getting information is through my ears and I can comprehend it, then I'm still comprehending. Now, I'm a dyslexia therapist. I teach kids how to read. That's what I do. And I want every child to learn how to read. But if I'm teaching 10th grade biology, then my students need auditory books. They, they do. Got for it. They do. Mm-hmm. They sure do. So uh, that kind of tick ties up what is dyslexia, the primary symptoms. So if you're looking at your child or children in your room, in your class at school, they had difficulty learning the letter names and the letter sounds. Mm. Number one, they have difficulty reading a single word. They can't just sound out a word. Like if you hold up flashcards or they're reading word lists, it's way harder. You'll notice like they will memorize stories or they'll be able to use context and they do a lot of guessing. Uh -huh. That's not what we want them to do. We don't want them guessing. So you take those same words and you put them in a word list. They're in that book and they're not going to do as well because they've used context to kind of carry them along sometimes in text. Um, there's a lack of fluency. Their reading is often uh, laborious and they all have a lot of mistakes. They do all these substitutions for visually similar words, horse and house, or they may say a word, a synonym, mm -hmm. and they keep going. And it, because it just makes sense. They're yeah. trying to carry the story in their head. They are. They are. And they have difficulty learning to spell. Yeah. Spelling is really hard. Just to review listeners, you know, we we hear, like, let's say that I'm, I'll go back to my favorite word to teach with vocabulary, loquacious. Oh, loquacious. Talkative. You know, like, I I, I hear it. And I have to hear it quite a few times before I'm willing to say that out loud. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's like hearing, saying, reading, you know, then I'm able to read it. And then the last step is that writing piece. That's the most difficult. It is That's so hard. It's loud. Um, if you have a kid who can read um, OU words or whatever, you can know that they're on the road. Like Kim has, she, we were just talking before the podcast. She's got some kids who are showing great success a little bit. and they're able to read the words. And so we know they're learning it. The next step will be to write it. That's true. I just said, you and I were talking before we started. I just assessed today over book three with my third graders and a few fourth graders. Um, and they've learned final stable syllable. Um, they've learned all the R controlled vowels. They've learned A-W. They've learned A-I, A-Y. They've learned a lot. But mm -hmm. they, they read all those words really well over my little assessment. And they read the sentences really well. But when it came time to spell, like uh, consonant L-E, well, I can't remember. Maybe the word was title. A couple of them I noticed wrote T-I-T-L. Oh, okay. and, yeah, they can read it every time, every time, but they'll miss it. Or um, one of the rules, spelling rules we've learned in this last book is um, the doubling rule. So if mm -hmm. I have a one syllable word with one vowel, one short vowel and one consonant, I double it. Or an accented syllable that has one consonant and one short vowel, we double that last consonant. The doubling rule, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they, they could tell me, they can tell me what it is, but when I give them the word to spell it, uh, I'd say a third of them left out the, the extra consonant. Mm, yeah. But that just yeah. tells me as a teacher, what I need to work on. Yeah. You just need to continue. Yeah. Or if we do move on, we've got to keep that in the cycle and in, in their awareness. Yeah. So. so on my beat, like on a days, it's uh, in my program. One day I introduce the skill, we practice reading it, we practice spelling with it. The next day we work on, on B days, we work on fluency and some spelling and some connected text, just reading books. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's kind of simplistic, but it's basically it. So then on that B day, then on that spelling part, I know I need to be working on consonant LE words. I need to be working on the doubling rule. I need to be working on the R sound after a W 
the mm-hmm. rule is if you hear a, a W and then an OR, the OR is going to be pronounced er, like world, word, work. Mm-hmm. So they would forget that sometimes and they would write W E R. They just oh, have, yeah. They're not solid with it yet. So anyway, that tells me what I need to do on right. those other days for my spiral days. So that what you were saying, um, they will have difficulty writing sentences or paragraphs. They're going to have a hard time and understanding what they read because they've spent so much time sounding it out. And they're exhausted by the time they're done. Yeah. And we've all done that. We've all been tired or whatever, distracted and read a page when we were in college or even now, for instance, we've read it. And we get to the end of the page and we think, I don't know. Well, I don't have a clue. What was that? What did that even mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I remember the first time I read Beginning to Read by Marilyn Adams. I I ended up loving this chapter on orthographic processing. I read it so much that the pages came out. Like I had to tape them in and I, I loved that chapter. But I remember the first time I read that chapter on orthographic processing, I thought, I don't have a clue what it's talking about. It's not making sense. So yeah, it takes a lot of practice. Yeah. So we're wondering what causes everybody wonders, well, why, why my child? Why my child? Well, it's familial. Like I said, everybody in my family, if I showed you a picture of my family right now, the whole bunch would be, it. I could just put a smiley face over every head nearly mm-hmm. um, dyslexic, but we're really good at, um, Learning to read wasn't easy. Learning to spell wasn't easy, but learning to build things. My brother can take apart a motor and put it back together. He did it the first time when he was like nine years old. Like, oh, wow. like it's, he can just see how things work in his mind. <laughs> Landon built a working motorcycle when he was three with the locks. Mm-hmm. He sure did. Yeah. He was a STEM kid before it was even a thing. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. It really is the difference in the way the brain works. The environment's important. Being in a place where there is explicit and systematic phonemic awareness and phonics instruction, mm-hmm. that real and all of those pieces, that whole science of reading is incorporated in a classroom and kids are taught well by a teacher who not, has been trained in the program that she's using and she's using right. it with integrity mm-hmm. yeah. um, or he. And that has, and they've had a good instruction all the way up. Well, that's important, but there are strong genetic effect, um, effects too. You know, there are things that just, you can't think of a word. It's on the tip of your tongue and it, you can't think of it. So you may have this child that comes up and they get in third or fourth grade. And all of a sudden, you know, the content gets really heavy and meaty and they start struggling. And then we test them and we're like, how did we miss that? Well, we missed it because their teaching was strong. The teacher, the teaching education right. strong. They were at school every day. They never missed. The curriculum is solid, but it's just, were just right. Yeah. To help you. Yeah. 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 Um, one other thing that I want to say about the phonological awareness difficulty is besides the sounds and language, they can't rapidly name things. So if they are, are given a, a paper with picture like a star, a square, a, a circle, of, I, I don't know, a random objects, just being able to randomly name letters and randomly name um, objects or randomly name common words, it will not come out. It's in there. It just won't come out. So that's why things like dibbles will flag them. They may, you, I've heard teachers say this and I've said it myself. They know their letters and sounds, mm-hmm. but you put a timer on them and, and, then, give, and, and it, they cannot do it randomly. But yeah, so that's why in Arkansas, that rapid automatic naming screener with the colored cubes. Yes. In kindergarten. That's why we, um, that that's given. Yes. That rapid automatic naming. It will flag them, the very severe ones for sure. Mm -hmm. We're not giving that now. We gave it. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, we are giving it, but we're not giving it now as early. We were giving it at the beginning Mm -hmm. of kindergarten, and I can't remember next year if we're moving, the state is moving that to Christmas. To mid. Because the kids come in for kindergarten so timid. 
And some of them may not have been in pre-K. They may be kind of sketchy on colors. So we're giving it a little bit later. I'm not, I, I really don't want to misspeak, but it, we're not giving it at the beginning of kindergarten. We're waiting a that little makes while. Sense. So dyslexia is not a lack of intelligence. Oh, hold on. I lost you for a second. Okay. Okay. So you said we're not giving that at the beginning of kindergarten and then we're it not kind giving- of... Yes. I don't want to misspeak. I'm not certain when we're going to get it. I think it's the middle of the year, but I know that it's going to be later in the year. Well, that makes sense. You don't want just a kid not knowing their colors to do their, uh, mess up their data. Right, right. That's right. They may not be dyslexic. They may be colorblind. Um, It's not due to intelligence. Absolutely. Nothing to do with intelligence. These children are average or above average intelligence. Um, It's not because they're not motivated to read or want to learn to read. And it's not a vision problem. Color corrected lenses are not going to fix it. It might fix something else. Might fix another problem. My grandson has a vision issue, but that has nothing to do with his phonological issue. That is something separate and apart from. Right. He has a tracking issue, but that's not causing his dyslexia. So I don't, people get caught up in that. And that is just, that's just misinformation. Any questions? No, I just think it's so good for us to hear these things because we can really help parents and and just help others making sure that they know the correct information. So how can they learn to read? Mm. Because they can. They can learn to read. They, they ha- early identification and treatment are important. A lot of times parents will say there's just something that is not right. They're just not getting it. It's too hard. I know with David, my young, my, my middle child, we were working, every, well, Landon too, we were working every night. No person, no child should have to come home from school all after in when they're five and six years old and have to work two hours at night or three mm-hmm. forever. So we need to identify them early and give them early treatment. Okay. Let's stop real quick because we have a lot of listeners who are not in Arkansas and Arkansas has mandated screeners. So if you're not in Arkansas and you don't have any mandated screeners, they, they need to, to kind of early identify. They need a sound screener mm-hmm. and they need a rapid a rapid, rapid mm-hmm. and then maybe a working memory or uh no i i, I think so the initial screener yeah that'd be a level two okay. screener but like this initial screener really we want to look at their rapid naming mm-hmm. and re- and just kind of look at how are they doing um learning their letters and sounds can they mm-hmm. name the letters yeah we have we do have a dyslexia law in fact um there are only three states without dyslexia laws. It's Hawaii. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Hawaii, Idaho, and Vermont. Get on board, people. That's right. Come on, people. That's right. <laughs> Even if your state doesn't have a specific dyslexia law, federal law, um, I wrote it down. The federal law says dyslexia law, federal law, including the Department of Education, formally recognizes dyslexia for all states and has a statement about dyslexia being mentioned specifically in IEPs and 504s. And for the longest time, and I hear this from other people in other states, they don't, that the psychologist or whomever, I don't know who it is, they don't want to say it's dyslexia or characteristics of dyslexia. But well, we I can't say it's dyslexia. I'm not a I'm not a neurologist. I can't look at your brain. I can say you have characteristics of dyslexia. But the Department of Education, the federal law says that it has a statement about dyslexia being mentioned specifically for IEPs and 504s. Okay. So there's no excuse. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. let anybody tell you that you can't have that. Um, it, how common is it? How common do you think it is? Well, I see the shirts that say one in five. Is that right? According okay. to the International Dyslexia Association, it's about one in five, probably mm-hmm. between 17 and 20% actually of the population. Okay. 70 to 80% of the students with specific learning disabilities who are in special ed and have def- deficits in reading are 
truly dyslexic mm-hmm. and they've been placed. Now we're catching them sooner. Our special ed referrals are down significantly. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. I like how sound instruction is becoming so yes. much stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the most common cause of difficulties with learning to read to, and to spell and to write. And so um, about 70 to 80% of those kids that we put in resource for specific learning disability were truly dyslexic and given the right instruction might not, they may still have needed an IEP, but they may not have had to have had as much support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that is. Yeah. And pulled out as much, pulled out of core instruction. Yeah. Then they're, they're perpetually behind. Yeah. The more they're pulled out of their classroom, the more behind they get. And again, remember what we said about background knowledge and vocabulary. They're not getting that rich discussion in the classroom. So um, that's why I'm in favor of inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So students with dyslexia need explicit, direct instruction that is systematic, structured language, sequential. It has to follow, you know, a a scope and sequence. And it has to be cumulative, just like we talked about earlier. I'm not going to leave behind. Uh, Yes. LA or whatever. (laughs) And let's review what systematic means. So system. It means it's structured. Mm -hmm. It it means it has to be structured. It's structured in a way that makes sense. I'm not going to teach OU before I teach Val A. I'm going to teach the most common patterns Mm. first. And then I'm going to add the the less common as I go. And then I know by book five, we get to, we start working on reading rules that are not um, common spelling rules. Okay. So we teach them to read some things that are, are not regular for spelling. And then we just keep practicing those rules like, like we're learning right now in books three mm-hmm. and four. So would you even say, you know, a part of that is to, Think about instruction, what makes sense that you're being very intentional about that, that you're oh, modeling and you're, you know, activating some guided practice and things like that. Yes. Intentional decisions to be made. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that instruction that is structured, explicit, intentional, systematic, all the things we said, cumulative, mm-hmm. has to include phonemic awareness, phonics how letters and groups of letters form to make a spoken word, sounding out words or decoding, um, rapidly, automatically recognizing words. So for kids who have dyslexia, it takes 500 to 1500 repetitions to turn, transfer something to long-term storage. Wow. Think about that, Laura. Those of you who um, use using CKLA, and especially kindergarten and first grade, a curriculum that's common in Arkansas, that letter naming flash that you're doing at the beginning of each lesson, that is just another time for them to practice that skill. Yes, um, that's right. So. They do. They have to have 500 to 1,500 repetitions. And when are they going to get that? Yeah. They aren't. We can do it 178 times in our 178 days. That's and that's right. letter and sounds. Um, yeah. Yeah. So much practice. So we have kind of gotten in Arkansas this idea that we can't use flashcards or we can't just teach words in isolation. We don't want to just, kids don't learn words by just sight. Mm -hmm. They, They actually are looking at the letters and sounds. But once we've introduced, let's say we're teaching them the word world. There's one. We, they know w and they know ul and they know d, but they don't know that or says er yet. Mm-hmm. So we just put a heart around that. We teach those as instant words or heart words or, si- you know, whatever they're, not, you they're whatever you want to call them. <laughs> I haven't learned that skill yet. It's a, it is a regular word, but the, I haven't learned that skill yet, but it's a mm-hmm. common word that I'm going to be reading in second grade. And maybe I haven't learned that yet. So we want to use um, partial decoding for them. And then once we've taught them about that, then give them repetitions with that word. And it is okay to use some flashcards yeah. or word lists or rapid naming of those words. It just can't be 
the method of, you know, like. No, that's not the instructional method. That is practice. That is practice. The instructional method is something different. And it may, they may need a lot of instruction prior to that. Lots of multisensory. Use sand. Use sandpaper. Use tracer rods. Use mesh. Use, you know, sky writing. Mm -hmm. I have in my room over there, you can't see them, but I have uh, lightsabers and we sky write with lightsabers. And how they like that. Are we going to get to use the lightsabers today? But anything to get that multi-sensory instruction so that they're learning those. That's Mm -hmm. the learning part. The practice part comes in with pulling out those cards and we're going to review these words we know. And so does that make sense? Yeah. It does to me. I'm just, I just keep thinking as we're talking to make sure that we're scaffolding our vocabulary, you know, like, because. Yes. uh, Yeah. Because it is a language. (laughs) I just think about my college students when we first Uh start out, you know, at the beginning of the year, it's like, I'm like, Ladies and gentlemen, we are learning a language here. Yeah. It's an own language. That's right. We'll learn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it has to be explicit in spelling. Kids have to know the rules for spelling. They have to know them and they have to practice it. They will not learn them from a list that you send home. If you get yeah. home a random list, forget about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and today I had this conversation. I'm like, we, we really just want to get away from that list. And I know it's something that parents want because they can help, but let's show parents other ways to help. Because what we're doing is when we send home that list, we are promoting memorization. We are not promoting learning. That's right. And Laura, let's think about my assessments that I did today. If I had just sent these words home and had them practice them, they would have scored really well. (laughs) Probably. Look, yeah. I did well teaching that, but. And then you now, would have a false illusion of learning. That's right. Because they would not know it. Now I know we can't spell final stable syllables. <laughs> we we can't remember that doubling rule. Yeah. We're going to have to practice that more. And so that's, that's what that spelling assessment should be for. It should be for us as teachers to know what we need to practice on and maybe what we can tell par- parents to practice on. They're always asking Very often, what can I do to help? Okay, here's what you can do. I'm going to send this home. I need them to, you know, understand this. I had a game today after we finished our testing where it was a memory and they were syllables and they had to turn them over and match a picture. So that it was like um, backpack was one of them, but another one was table and there were just random list of pictures. So they were playing memory, which is building, working memory. Yes. And they were having to put the words together, the syllables together to build the words. So that once they built the words, then they had to write the word and then they had to code the word. Oh, that's good. So had to break it into syllables, mark the vowels with whatever the brief or however the, we were marking on our digraphs. So they had to code them. So those kinds of things parents can do at home with their children. Yeah. And, but we don't know what they don't know if we're sending the spelling test home with them. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think one thing to point out is if, if your curriculum, if your phonics curriculum doesn't have the rules with it, because I think when, when I started teaching third grade, um, I was, I was learning the phonics rules because phonics was out when I, when I was growing up. And so I didn't know all these rules and I was learning them, um, but I was learning them by discovery because my curriculum didn't have the rules. And so if I had that curriculum today, I would be adding the rule to Mm -hmm. it. So um, you you could just type in spelling rules or reading rules um, and you you can find easy list. Um, And so that's just one thing that you can look at your curriculum and, you know, all curriculum are all curricula have gaps and so that gap in yours. And that's okay. Um, yep. the, the easiest thing to add would be a rule. <laughs> so easy. That is so easy. I've got them. You can see Laura, but they're up all around my room and I review those often with them. I go over my spelling rules every day before we start to work on spelling. So whatever that spelling thing uh, skill is that we're working on, then I'll review the rules for that day. 
Okay. If you just hear, for that day. Just for that yeah. day. Mm-hmm. If you hear a, ch, a final ch after a consonant, it's spelled C-H. If you hear a final ch after a short vowel, it's spelled T-C-H. T-C-H. Okay. And I'll write that rule up there. And then we practice working on those words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. So what are some indicators? What do we need to be looking for? Number one, alphabet. Okay. They can remember the names of the letters and they surely don't know the sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll say, why says w? Mm, yeah. Now developmentally in at the beginning of kindergarten that. You're like, hey, you said a sound. Great. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, they have trouble decoding and recognizing words. They might be able to sound it out. And the next time they see it, they have to sound it out again and they have to sound it out again. They cannot sound out anything that's unfamiliar. And you will really notice it if you give them a measure that has nonsense words. Okay. They cannot figure those out. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're smart enough or they're they're intelligent enough they're they're really bright kids and they may have had enough exposures that they can remember the and poo or i don't know fast they can remember that but if i give them words that are nonsense i can't sound it and out i can really tell yeah um, yeah. Letter issue. Mm-hmm. yeah i have a little girl that i've taught for a long time and she, her memory is, is really, um, very, she really struggles with working memory and just transferring lot to long-term memory. And what I've noticed with her is if she comes to a word, let's take was the word was, for instance, if she stops, pauses at it, and I'll say, just write that with your finger, the something about the motion of writing W A S she will say it every time was mm-hmm. just Write that word out with your finger. I don't know what it is about that. It's in there. Yeah. Her way of getting it out is through writing. It's like her access. That's her access point. That's her access point. So I'm doing a lot of writing with her to mm-hmm. try to build some sight vocabulary. Okay. Yeah. Fluency is going to be huge. They're going to be, it's going to flag every time on whatever you're using for your screeners in your schools. Some people use Ames Web. Some people use Dibbles. We use Dibbles at my school. I like it. It's just a screener. It's just to sift out to show us who's who's struggling, and that fluency is going to be going to be low. And it probably for some students will remain. um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. the fluency will spelling. They might memorize the word for a test, but they will never write it in a paragraph correctly or in a sentence. The next time they write it, it won't be. You have to own it to write it. Mm -hmm. Yes, you do. Um, They have difficulty learning, remembering words after they've sounded it out. They go back and read it. They can't read what they just wrote. Mm -hmm. So that's that sometimes early on. That'll be a flag. Uh, They have difficulty with reading comprehension. We're moving to comprehension now, but not with listening comprehension. They read, oh, I'd said this earlier, they're better at reading words in context than they are um, out. Mm-hmm. Like in yeah, because they have that strong oral language that, that you know, that that covers, that, that carries over to when they're reading in context, they can write yeah. on that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Written expression, uh, they have difficulty constructing sentences. What they'll often do is write the easiest words, but um, some it's in there and they can't get it out on their hand. I think it's called finger agnosia or something like that. Ooh, I, can't wow, you're fancy. Agnosia. I think that's right. Um, they have difficulty organizing great appropriate competi- compositions, competitions, compositions. We're getting tired. You can tell. <laughs> We've been working all day. And mm. what they write does not match how they talk. Mm-hmm. That's probably a big one. Oh, that would be a good marker for um, the older grades. You know, uh-huh. you're having these great conversations with these kids and then when you read their writing, yeah. it's so simplistic. Yeah. It doesn't even match, right? Yeah. Another indicator is family history. If they've had a brother or a sister come through and you know they were dyslexic and they're exhibiting some of these behaviors, this Mm -hmm. might be a child that you want to do a level two screener on. 
Yeah. Investigate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. What people don't understand is, um, I think oral, the oral language deficit for, for these kids, like we said, like they're, they'll, they'll speak in a way that makes you think they understand what they're talking about, but if it's their input, mm-hmm. they don't understand verbal directions. Mm. It gets all mixed up. Um, they may have difficulty pronouncing words. Now, you know, all our kids, I think, said Pischetti, but they're, yeah. they'll say things like, my brother used to say, we had a motor home and he called it the home home. <laughs> and he'd say his name was Pammy So and his name was Sammy Poe. Oh. Like they yeah. mix up syllables. They mix up lots of syllables. So their, their vocabulary is a little bit like a word salad. Um, <laughs> Lots of ums, which you've heard me do today, but I'm tired. They use words like stuff and thing and whatchamacallit because they, they can't get the name of that word out. I can't find that exact vocabulary. Do you think that's well, like a working memory thing or like processing? Or? processing. It's a hundred percent processing. Um, I'm trying to think of what Asher, Asher, my grandson, would say something all the time, a word like, Oh, he would say, instead of I'm thirsty, he'd say I'm drinky. Oh. He was five. We're oh, five. I'm drinking. That's ten It's so <laughs> cute. And then you're like, oh, but then. Yeah. It's got, you got to work that out. You <laughs> can't yeah. saying that. <laughs> I'm drinky. Hmm. Uh, not only do they have difficulty with letters and sounds and sounding out words, one indicator is rhyming. I remember when I first started teaching, I'd have teachers tell me, well, these resource kids have trouble. Kids that are in resource class, they have trouble rhyming. They were dyslexic and we didn't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. That is not a goal. Rhyming is not a goal. It is an indicator. So it is one of our standards. We want them to be able to rhyme. Mm-hmm. But if you have kids who are struggling with rhyming, that is a huge indicator that something's going on. Mm-hmm. They should even be able to give you a nonsense word. Um, I just remember when we were driving down the Barnhill Road in our town, and uh, it was Collier or Lawson said, I think it was uh, Collier said, Alice Ann, Alice Ann, in the sand. And I was like, oh, hallelujah, he can rhyme. I was like, thanks. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I know. How oh, I, I think I think that we thought as educators that we had to teach them how to rhyme, but some kids just aren't going to, we need to expose them to rhyme. We need to try to teach them to rhyme, but it's never, they may not ever get to where we need them to be in rhyming, but they, they can be taught. We can't get stuck there. We need okay. to move on to segmenting and blending. Right. So still expose, expose, um, past the continuum. Yes. What, what was happening in Arkansas is we were getting stuck on onset rhyme mm-hmm. and they weren't ever moving to the skills that benefit reading. And those are segmenting and blending. So okay. being able to take the word blast and break it into its five individual sounds, blast or chop, chop, mm-hmm. being able to segment and yeah. then to blend those together to see the word the letters K-I-D-S and go kids, kids. So we can break it apart. Mm-hmm. So would you still, would you like, would you st- still spend any time rhyming or would you? Yes, I would, but I would move past it. Okay. I would so I'm just in. picturing if you use um, Kilpatrick's book that has the one minute drills. What's that white one called? Evaluating, uh, oh gosh, yeah, we got my shelf somewhere. I don't know, we'll link I can't it. Remember. Um, but you know, uh, so- I can't remember, Laura. Yeah, I can't either. I it has a blue spiral brown, ladies, and yes. the picture on the front. <laughs> but uh, we'll link it. So, yes, those you know, are interventions that would be yeah. interventions. Yeah, but what we were doing is we were getting stuck in whole class working on rhyming, we needed to move on to the skills that are going to benefit reading and writing. And that's, that's segmenting and blending. And I said, looking at letters and saying sounds, that's decoding. That's me saying to a child, what's, what word did these sounds make? 
egg mm. and then being able to tell me. Tell me that, that putting those yes. together. Yes. Okay. My reading girls, we really, really ponder on what Kim has been sharing because I think I might have been leading them down the road to making sure that they can rhyme before I really progress them on up. So that would be an intervention. Okay. Yeah. It'd still be an intervention. It could still be a center mm. in your classroom. But but I thought that too, Laura. I, mm. I kept thinking we needed to move through all those. And those are prerequisite prerequisite skills. But that rhyming piece, that's that's gonna be Yeah. Because <laughs> as I'm reading, I don't have to rhyme. No, you don't. <laughs> Thank goodness there's free form, free flow, free form, free form, fluency, not fluent. Poetry. Poetry. My goodness. My dyslexia is showing my attention. Okay. So handwriting is going to be a flag. It's, it's poor quality, illegible. It's terrible. Letters will be floating. A lot of times we can fix that. They'll have an awkward pencil grip. That might be dysgraphia, mm-hmm. but it might not be. Okay. So I don't you know. You don't. I had my very first student that I did with Take Flight. His handwriting was atrocious. His his printing, his manuscript, and I taught him cursive, and it was beautiful. His cursive was beautiful. You're like what? Mm-hmm. So teachers, listen to me. I'm going to make a statement that I never thought I would make, but cursive writing is critical for these kids. Let them write in cursive. If you didn't learn it as a a child, start practicing it and learn it because the kids need to write it. It's fluid. Mm -hmm. Um, They want to start at the baseline anyway. Where do they always want to start when they're writing? They always want to start at the baseline. They have trouble starting in space, finding their way way in space. So start every letter. There are four approach strokes in cursive. I don't even know how many there are in manuscript. Forgotten. Um, But let them write cursive and you'll be pleased. I promise you'll be pleased. I never thought about this, Kim, because I've always been like, just make sure they can write their name. Yeah, I was too. I was yeah. too. Yes, I thought, well, they're going to type everything. But a maybe of- that would be the method that they can communicate in written language that is legible. Yes. Whereas print may not be so. Yes, yes. but for it's that um, that's multisensory. So mm-hmm. me writing the word, I don't know, language. Well, that's not a good one. Let's say I'm writing the word mother. And I'm learning mother and I say mother, M-O-T-H-E-R. And I'm saying the letters and I'm saying the sounds and I'm writing it. That's, that's, I'm seeing, hearing, motion. mm -hmm, I'm feeling that motion. So Mm -hmm. that's going to lock that in to the long-term storage. This is really about learning it. Mm. And kids need to be writing stuff, right? I need to be writing. There's a whole ton of research out there about why why writing with a pencil is is important. Mm-hmm. And it's that multi-sensory piece. Yeah. And, oh, gosh, so crucial for truly learning those letters um, at the beginning. Yeah. So we will often see some social and emotional behaviors. They'll be frustrated. They have anxiety. Today mm-hmm. with one of my groups, we finished our test And before we started um, our games, I said, I've got some books we're going to read. I'm going to pass them out. And AR is still a thing at my school. And you can take an AR test on it because I was worried that they're not getting their points. And I don't want them to be penalized for it. Right. So I had these little decodable chapter books. Immediately, one of my students said, oh, my stomach hurts. Mm. And I do believe his stomach was hurting. And it's because of his anxiety. Yeah. Because he read very slowly. Mm-hmm. And I let them read with partners. And I said, hey, I'm going to be your partner because it was an odd number today. So they got to read with partners. And, um, but his stomach started hurting immediately. Bless his heart. Well, that worked uh, out to be that he could be your partner. Yeah, he did. He was going to be my partner no matter how I had to figure that out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you want them to read aloud, tell them way ahead of time. 
Mm. They have a chance to practice. Ask them ahead of time, hey, tomorrow we're going to read. Would you want to read this part for us? Mm-hmm. If they say no, respect that. Yeah. How would you like to be asked to do something? Model. I mean, I just think somebody said, hey, I need you to model a bikini. <laughs> Give me eight months advance. <laughs> able to get enough spray tan and exercise enough that and far enough away that if I might but I mean think about that I think a good um like comparison for us would be you know if reading a chapter of the bible like if you're at church oh exactly gosh like think about if you go in the congregation and read it and you're reading you're gonna read it out of the old testament all those names Oh, yeah, a lot of these students have attention issues. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost hand in hand. Most of mine do. They have trouble uh, attending to tasks that are print dependent. They have trouble organizing their time. Does this sound familiar? And their materials. They get distracted easily. Um, they try to get things done quick, quickly, too too fast. They're fidgety. But so many of these come as reactions to when things get hard or yes. being, you know, trying to make up for or avoiding it. Yeah. 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 Um, if a student has been retained in a grade or if grade retention has been suggested, that might be something that you want to look for. Okay. If they've been in their tiered interventions year after year since the day they walked into kindergarten, yeah, you want to look for. But we are in good company because Winston Churchill, yes, Richard Branson, you know who that is, Virgin Records, Virgin Airlines, yeah, yeah, Will Smith, Whoopi Goldberg, Steve Jobs, Mm. Billy Bob Thornton, (laughs) did you know that? Thomas Edison, John Lennon, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Robin Williams, Mm. Kim Wilkins, (laughs) Pablo Picasso. (laughs) We're on the cover magazine. That that is a great reminder that there is so much potential and so much intelligence and kids. So much creativity. 40% of NASA employees are dyslexic. Yes. Oh, and just praise the Lord that they've been cultivated, you know, and so they didn't go on school. 40% of NASA employees are dyslexic. Our brightest minds. Yeah. Well, Kim brought up dyscalculia and dysgraphia, and listeners, we're going to do episodes on those. Yes. Has smart friends. And so she's going to get some of them in in the conversation. So if you are interested in some of these topics, uh, be on the lookout because we'll be discussing those topics. And next week, Kim, and Kim is going to inform us about what we can do to really support these kiddos in our classroom. And those will be high school babies and little babies. Last year I taught high school kids and... They, you know, they're super smart kids, but school's been hard all along and they're ready to give up. And now often we just don't cut them enough slack. Yeah. And really pay attention to the root of the problem. You know, oh, they're lazy. They're, you know. Yeah. Dr. Amen said it's way easier to say, why are you like that? than how did you get here? Mm. Why are you like that? Why are you like that? Then how? I said that wrong. Tag, clip that. He said, I sent that to you, Laura. It's easy to look at, look at people and call them bad. It's harder to say why. It's easy to look and say, there's something wrong with you than to say, why is this happening? We can spot them all day long. They're struggling. They're struggling. But why? What's the root cause? So we got to get there. Yeah. It's kind of a. We're making progress. We just got to keep on progress. We are. We are. I work in a really good place with some really good therapists. Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot from them too. And 
It is. It is so exciting. And I learned so much from my students. They teach me things every day. For sure. Yeah. Okay, listeners, we're going to encourage you to keep on growing that brain. Uh, The more your brain grows, the better equipped you'll be for your students. So we hope you have a wonderful week and come see us next time and we'll learn more about how to support our students. Have a great week. Have a great week. Bye-bye.